All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can you see it? Did you notice? Check, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in in Valentine's Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by Parallel 49 Brewing Company. My name is David Quadrelli and joining me as always remotely actually this time is the man who predicted the Canucks would sweep the Minnesota Wild, Chris Faber. Chris, and you were also given an opportunity to take back that prediction after seeing the Canucks exhibition against the Jets, but you chose to stick to your guns. I respect it. I was kind of laughing after that first game, but Chris, how are you doing, my friend? Listen, I don't take back predictions. I take L's instead. I, I would rather do it that way. I was out there giving a bold take. I thought that they would sweep them. I thought the top six was going to look good, uh, but obviously the top six didn't look good until we saw the lotto line come together. So now that we have the lotto line together, uh, you know it looks a lot better for the Vancouver Canucks, and, and I'm sure we have a lot to talk about in this episode. We'll get into it later, but episode 92... 
I think we might have to have some Pod Colson talk later on as well. I watched his uh, his game the other day. He looked pretty good. So since it's episode 92, we do need to mention Pod Colson uh, at some point in this episode. But we have so much to talk about with the first two games of the Minnesota Wild series. I- I'm just ready to get into that with you. Absolutely, and I think we should start right there. You know, we'll start at the first game because that was a tough one to watch. You know, we've been waiting a long time to watch some live hockey. I think it'd been over 140 days by my calculations, and... It was a tough one, Chris. It was not easy to watch. The Canucks looked like they weren't ready to play. They didn't look like they had scouted the Wild at all at any point over the past five months. And that was what was so interesting to me because, you know, we talk about it a lot on this podcast over the last five months. Like, you know, we know what Travis has been up to in quarantine. Like, he has been looking at the Wild and he's been watching game tape and he's been getting ready his plan of attack and how he's going to counter the Wild. And then it looked like all of that... It looked like they had, it was a regular season game, and the Wild had somehow blacked out the Canucks' ability to scout them because the Canucks did not look ready to play at all. And, you know, everybody was talking about it. Like, Travis got outcoached in that first game, and then the second game was a stark contrast to the first one. And it was just, it was nice to see them bounce back, but holy cow, that first game. Why don't you just kind of delve in on that? Yeah, I think that that first game was really tough to watch just because it was it was everything that everybody was talking about, talking about that defense core for the Minnesota Wild and how they're going to play a collapsing game and shut down everything around the goaltender. That's exactly what they did, and the Canucks just weren't able to penetrate that at all. And I think that, you know, they tried a lot of outside shots on Stalock. Stalock made a couple of good glove saves that could have been goals for the Vancouver Canucks in that first game. I think that, you know, he made a good one on Tyler Myers, made a good one on Quinn Hughes. Um, A couple shots that are just, you know, if they're a couple inches higher, they go in and we're talking about a different game. But that's not going to be what wins you playoff games. I mean, you're going to have to go to the net stronger. You're going to have to try and draw penalties. Um, And we saw, you know, a a strong difference in the game when we saw in game two. Because, yeah, game one was tough to watch. Um, No team scored at 5-on-5. The Minnesota Wild ended up scoring two power play goals. That was enough for them to get the win when they added the empty netter as well. So... Yeah, 5-on-5 was interesting. I think that's exactly kind of what the Wild want to do. They want to just be able to maybe squeak out an extra goal over the Vancouver Canucks at 5-on-5. But in in Game 1, you don't see any 5-on-5 goals. You have 47 minutes of 5-on-5 hockey and you don't get a goal out of it. That's that's not a good look uh, for the Vancouver Canucks who want to drive a lot of play with their top six. And and they fell right into the matchups. I mean, the Dumba-Brodeen pairing was all over Pedersen. Uh, Every time Pedersen stepped on the ice, he was out there. Um, and, and I know that you want to kind of dive into the forward groups that was matching up against Pedersen in that first game. He looked a lot better in the second game, uh, that's for sure. But, you know, I think Pedersen, you know, Travis Green talked about it. Like, they, they really learned a lesson, uh, I think, in that first game. Like, like, it was a very different game for the Minnesota Wild. But like you said, it felt like a regular season game for the Vancouver Canucks. It felt like they were just playing, you know, a, another game in the middle of December, right? Like, it wasn't anything special for them. But it seemed like the Wild were, you know, throwing the extra slash on Patterson, giving him the extra shove. Yep. Um, and I think that it, it was something that the Canucks need to bounce back from. And I saw a little bit of that in game two. And here's the other thing. The Canucks had a bit of a pushback in Game 2 in terms of the extra slash, the scrums after the whistle, the finishing every check. Like, all of this stuff that the Wild was doing in Game 1, we saw it more from the Canucks. And you know who we saw it from a lot? He was very visible to me, was Jay Beagle, right after the whistles. Like, being in guys' face, you know, getting under people's skin. And we also saw from Pedersen. Like, Pedersen has looked ready to go from day one here. We saw it at camp. He just looks a step above everybody else. He's carried that into this series. He was exceptional in that first game. And in game two, it was more or less the same. And he takes it to that extra level. And, you know, you and I talked about it. Like, people were like, oh, I wonder. You know, Pedersen's obviously going to get hit hard. He's going to get the hard matchups. Like, this is going to be a tough series for Pedersen. Playoffs is going to be tough for Pedersen. He's, he might be a regular season producer. Who knows? But we talk about that compete level with Pedersen, right? And it's been on full display here that, no, he's going to take his game to the next level. And that's exactly what he's done. And I mean, you know, now we're seeing him in that matchup role. And you and I pondered about it for a couple months. And like, I did an article on it pretty early on. Like, the Wild have a similar makeup to the New York Islanders. The New York Islanders is who the Canucks played their last regular season game against. Could we see that matchup where Pedersen plays against the top line of Eric Stahl, Greenway, and Fiala? Could we see that? That was what we were talking about. And sure enough, that's what we saw in game two. It worked as well. Like, it worked. Pedersen was all over them. And, you know, they were controlling the shot share. And they also scored a goal. 
And I mean, what more do you really want? And something I also wanted to point out, interesting that you brought up that the Canucks didn't score a 5-on-5 goal in Game 1 because Minnesota has yet to score a 5-on-5 goal in this series. Yeah, and that bodes well for the Vancouver Canucks because that's how they're going to win games is if that top six can really control the goal share, if your third line can control somewhat of the goal share, and then if that fourth line can just you know kind of stay at evens, right? So any goal that you get from the fourth line right now in this series is just going to be an absolute bonus for the Canucks. I thought the third line looked a lot better in the second game, uh, even though they were kind of jumbled around a little bit, and it's kind of crazy to say because you know Brandon Sutter was centering that line instead of Adam Gaudet. But um, I yeah, like what you said with the line matching up with uh, Eric Stahl's line, uh, of Kevin Fiala and Greenway going up against Pedersen. That, that's where the bulk of Pedersen's competition is going up against. Obviously, the obvious one is is how much they're going up against Matt Dumba and uh, and Jonas Brodeen, I believe, is the other partner for for Dumba. But you're seeing him play a ton of minutes every single time that Pedersen goes over the uh, over the bench. Matt Dumba's hopping right on after him. And and you know what? It's it's been a pretty good matchup um, so far for. The, uh, the Minnesota Wild with Dumba on the ice. He's been able to, you know, make that huge save on game two. Matt Dumba makes a save uh, in game two against Brock Besser there when he kind of went around Staylock. I mean, Dumba's a hell of a player. Um, you see that on the power play uh, for the Minnesota Wild. He's a guy with a rocket of a shot. But at 5-on-5, five five, he's a great defender. Um, and, you know, he's been able to defend against this Patterson line at a pretty decent rate. But then you see them kind of continuing to play in the offensive zone, and they are able to kind of, when they get set up nicely, it's not like the cycle is able to continue on for a long time. But I still think that even just with a shorter cycle and kind of getting to the net, that's the way that they had a little bit of success in game two compared to maybe game one where they were trying to have, you know, one or two extra passes on the cycle to set up an easier goal. In in game two, it felt like the cycle was shorter. It was get to the net quicker and, you know, get a half-decent shot off. We saw Pedersen have a few, Brock Besser had a few, and and obviously JT Miller uh, looked good when he had that toe drag and an absolute snipe over the shoulder of uh, Stalock as well. And that's the thing, right? Like, Alex Stalock is a pretty average goaltender. He was giving up huge rebounds in Gate 1. And it became like, okay, why are the Canucks not burying this? Okay, let's look at this. It's because the Wild are so good at that collapsing style and boxing out. Like, the way that they're able to get body position and make sure that the Canucks can't get to a rebound and that their players are one of the first to get to it and clear it out, like... That's exceptional, and you just look at the contrast of that compared to what the Canucks defense does when Markstrom gives up a big rebound. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's very, very different. And I found that really interesting because, you know, if you're not going to beat them with the rebounds, if you're shooting for rebounds and you're not able to get to those rebounds, it's going to be hard. So you have to get to the net, and like you said, you have to start shooting from better, better areas. And I mean, you know. Some of the the goal that went in with Pearson, low danger area, sure, but it went in. You know what I mean? Like, it was a good bounce off the stanchion, and then it was a great shot by Pearson. I mean, I think that just set the tone for them in game two. And to be honest with you, like, you know, you're the king of optimism. You called a sweep. I, I honestly think from what I saw in that game, if they can continue this in game three, like, you know, we suspect no lineup changes in game three, right? Like, well, I would, if, what do you expect? Like, well, if I don't know what's going on with Furlan or Roussel, I mean, Roussel, I can probably see him coming back. Cause it just looked like a cut above his eye. Furlan, yes, okay. Okay. We need yeah, to talk yeah, about yeah. Furlan. Cause that's going to be an interesting one. If it's, you know, I heard them mention on the, on the broadcast that it, that it might be something to do with a shot block that he had earlier in the game. I mean, but he only played two minutes totally. uh, of ice time in that game. He wasn't out there a lot. And, you know, yeah. that's that kind of set up us seeing Louis Erickson and Brandon Sutter on the second power play, and it was just something that can't happen. <laughs> uh, so- but... But at the same time, like if Furlan's out and McEwen goes in, or you know if Furlan's out, I'm, I'm assuming that Adam Gaudet's coming in. But that's that's the problem with this bubble is we're not really hearing. You know, like Adam Gaudet was, I think he was deemed unfit to play, right? Like he wasn't a healthy scratch. Yeah, no, unfit to play was what they used. So I wonder what that means exactly because I I think that that leaked photo that they put out or that they put out for a minute and then they deleted it. I'm pretty sure Adam Gaudet was skating on the ice. So I'm wondering if he was just a healthy scratch and they decided to use unfit to play. Um, but, you know, that's that's the problem. We're not going to know until, you know, 11 o'clock, like 30 minutes before game time uh, on Thursday. Yeah. So that's that's the problem with what, you know, not having media in for practices or the Canucks not practicing at all. So the lineup is going to be probably changed here. Uh, I, yeah. I think that it is going to be Adam Gaudet that comes back in unless he is hurt. Um, so, you know, the, the Tyler Toffoli injury was kind of a shock to me. And then we hear Matt Sakaris reporting that he's in a walking boot. 
Um, so that that was a big shock to me. It just kind of shows that like a different uh, what a different kind of time it is right now with this NHL bubble yeah. uh, and the situation that they're kind of in. Because we would we would be all over this. Everyone would be all over this and be able to discuss what they think is going to happen here. Um, and unfortunately, we can't. I guess with that situation going on with the bubble and, and Travis Green having his lines in lockdown right now. Exactly, and that's it's so annoying because you can't we can't talk about stuff. It's just ah, it's annoying. But anyways, what I'm what I'm talking about when I say like no real lineup changes, like dude, there is no way in my mind that they they move away from Sutter in the third line center role, even if Godet's healthy. I don't Mm. think they're gonna move away from it. Uh, I still think he's gonna get bought out this summer. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I think he's really the only candidate to buy out for them. Um, But. I, I, I don't think they're going to move away from him. He, he played pretty well in that role. And you know what else I don't think? This is my bold take, Chris. I don't think Tyler Toffoli is going to be in the top six. I think he's going to mm. slide in on that third line with Sutter. With Sutter. Because, you know, we see Louis Erickson on the second line. What did you think of Louis' game last night? Because I thought he played well. You know, he doesn't have the, the goal-scoring prowess of Tyler Toffoli. Don't get me wrong, but... He played pretty well last night, and I was I was pleasantly surprised by that. I mean, his stick absolutely exploded, which just is like the most Louis Erickson thing ever. Um, and I know you're going to go buy that stick because you're a Louis Erickson broken stick collector when they have an equipment sale. But I, I was impressed with Louis. Like, and I think if you have Toffoli back, like, Toffoli didn't play very well in game one. Sorry. He looked like a slower version of Jake Vertanen. Like... You cannot say that Jake Vertanen was, you know, oh, yeah, he should have sat, he should have sat, but then be like, yeah, Toffoli, he played well. And, I mean, nobody really played great in Game 1, but Toffoli was somebody that stood out for all the wrong reasons, I think, for me in Game 1. You know, to put him on a third line in Game 3, I think you're laughing. Like, that top nine becomes so dangerous. And, I mean, obviously you don't want Louis in the top six long term, don't get me wrong, but if he's playing well, and people are all of a sudden talking about playoff Louis, playoff Louis Erickson. This is oh, what we God. paid for. This is what we paid for, Chris. Then why take Louis out of that role? He's playing it well, and you know, I'm sorry, he he played better than Tyler Toffoli did in Game One. I would Louis Erickson Game Two versus Tyler Toffoli Game One. Louis Erickson all day. So for Game Three, if you put Toffoli on that third line, you know, let's assume. Uh, let's assume Furland and Roussel are out, okay? McEwen's going to slide in, and you're probably going to have a third line of Toffoli, Sutter, and Vertanen, right? Yeah, I would say something like that. Who, who, who else? Like, I'm trying to think of all the combinations. Like, you know, Travis really likes him, Tyler I think the third line should be... I, I don't think if Toffoli's healthy, I would put Toffoli back on that second line. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't keep Louis there. But what do you think Travis is going to do? It doesn't matter what yeah, we would do. I know. That's the problem. I, I'm with you. I'm with you, man. You put Toffoli in the top six. Don't get me wrong. But what do I think Travis is going to do? I think he's going to stick with Louis, who played pretty well in game two. Like, you know what? It's it's like that saying, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. And I mean, the Canucks were not broke last game. They played well, and we've talked about it. No goals allowed at 5-on-5. Five five. You have to watch Kevin Fiala closely because toward the end of that game, when Fiala, didn't he score two goals with the goalie pulled? Yeah, Fiala's nuts, man. Like, the shots that he had, the Fiala's one was insane. just, like, the one that was right in and out, uh, the first goal that he scored, and the second one is just bar down. Like, yeah, you really got to, you know, key up on him. And I think that people are saying that that's a bad thing, that the Canucks lost a lot of momentum with those two goals. But I also think it could be a good thing because, like, Maybe they weren't paying as much attention to Fiala. He is by far the best goal scorer on this Minnesota Wild team. And when he puts two past you that fast, uh, I think yep. you come into game three and you're saying, like, okay, now we know yep. the guy that we have to, you know, put an extra stick on, keep a man kind of hovering around him. And, you know, maybe that's Louis Erickson's job then, I guess, if he's in the top six. Maybe oh, Louis yeah. follows around uh, Kevin Fiala all game. But I did just, I like, okay, I know that Louis, like, I don't know how to say this the best way, but like Louis Louis Erickson has has done so little for the Canucks that if he has a decent game, everyone starts saying that he had a good game for the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> I I don't think that Louis Erickson had a very good game. Um, I think he played a lot of minutes, and I think he was you know he was the he played the most minutes at five on five, not out of forwards. Like, not out of wingers, out of every single player. He played more than, like, Alex Edler, Tyler Myers, Chris Tanev, Lies Pedersen. At 5-on-5, five five, he played the most minutes for this team, which I thought was absolutely insane. I, you just can't you know, coach that. 
You can't. You, <laughs> playoff Louis is, a, is an animal, I know. But the thing about Louis Erickson, though, is like he didn't play like great on that line. I don't think he helped the flow of that line in the offensive zone at all. And what? I think that what you're going to want to do with that line is you're going to want to be able to continue to, to win the goal share, right? I mean, they did last night. They had one goal uh, early on with the Tanner Pearson. Louis didn't really contribute much to that first goal, I don't think. I think that he was fine in the defensive zone, maybe moving the puck up, but... I don't know. Like everyone said that he was good, I just I didn't think he, he was. was like great. I will I will not stand. What for did this he do Louis great Eric- last night? I will not stand for this Louis Erickson blasphemy. Okay, you you said he's done very little for the Canucks. No, he's done the little things for the Canucks, and he did the little things well last night. And it's you know it's not what it's you can't see it like it doesn't stand out because of how he plays. But those board battles, he looked exceptional along the boards. Like he looked like Josh Levo out there, man. And oh god, Josh, come on, Dave, get out of here. If okay, if Josh Levo were healthy right now, that'd be so helpful helpful for the Canucks. But he's not. So Louis Erickson comes in and he's actually plays well. Like he had a good game and he did help the flow of the offense. That first goal, Louis was important on that goal. Don't even get me started, okay? <sighs> I don't know. I think if you have Tyler Toffoli and you have an option for him in the top six in game two, like that's that's a no-brainer to put him back there. I think that Louie could be fine on a line maybe with Brandon Sutter and Jake Vertanen as your third line. You know, but Jake Vertanen didn't really play a lot either. A lot of people were freaking out about Jake Vertanen last night. He also had the lowest oh minutes gosh. for a guy that didn't get injured. Um, you know, I, I think that Jake Vertanen could be jumping back into that third line, but I wonder if... You know, if Furlan's gone, if Roussel's gone, that's pretty much you need to replace two wingers on that third line now. Um, I think it does make a lot of sense for me because it doesn't, you know, to to put Louis Erickson on that line with Brandon Sutter makes a lot of sense because they're going to be good in their defensive zone. They're going to be fine at moving the puck up. And then if you have Jake Vertanen on that line, maybe he gets an opportunity to uh, blast past one of these defenders because, like, a few of these defenders, like Suter uh, and Brodeen, like, they're not the best skaters, right? Like, they're pretty good yep. at setting up when you're coming in on a two-on-one on them. They have a great stick. They're great around their own net. But if you're able to get Jake Vertanen, like, springing down the wing and he gets to his blue line while they're defending at the center, like, I think that if Jake does have an absolute burst of speed, he can fly by one of those two guys on the left side. Um, and I don't know if he can do that around Dumba or Spurgeon because those guys are great skaters. But I, I think that if he gets an opportunity to skate on to, like, his right wing, which would be the left side defenders for the Minnesota Wild, he could get around Brodeen or Suter, I think, with decent amount of ease. And I think that that's something that maybe that third line could come together. If it is Erickson, Sutter... And Vertanen, like, I'm down for that. But that's going to rely on Tyler Toffoli being healthy. And if he's in a walking boot, you know, you don't really know what's going to come of it. And I think that if you do look at Zach McEwen, and I guess, you know, we could transition to this a little bit. But, like, looking at the lineup for Game 3, if Furland and Roussel are out, or even if just one of them's out, like, let's just say that Furland's out, right? Let's say it, let's, you know, I hate to say it, like, let's say it was an injury that's going to hurt him and keep him out for a little bit here. It, is it Adam Gaudet who comes in to play right wing on that third line, or is it is it going to be Zach McEwen? Because I don't really know where Travis Green's mind would be at with that right now. You know what? I think it's going to be Zmac, and that's because Adam Gaudet really did. How many have goddamn nicknames does Zach McEwen have? Are Zmac? That's the first time I've heard this one. Wow, I can't believe I just said that. I've never actually. Corey Corey Hergott would be proud of you for coming up with a new Zach McEwen nickname. Okay, Zach is going to go in. My bad. Sorry. Um, the big fella. Godet, the big fella. Godet didn't have a great first game, right? Like, he looked really shaky out there. And, yeah. you know, so did everybody else on the Canucks. I get it. I get it. But uh, if you have the option, right? Like, you've, you've got to try. You've got to at least try McEwen in the lineup in some capacity. And even on the fourth line, I don't mind McEwen playing on the fourth line. I think that's not a bad idea. And when I say Louis Erickson in the top six and Toffoli on the third line, I'm looking at the precedent of Travis Green when Besser wasn't really firing on all cylinders, putting him on the third line, right? Like, this is the precedent that I'm going off of. And when I make a prediction like this, and say, I think because Louie had a good game, because yeah, he did, Chris, because he had a good game, he's going to be in the top six, and you're going to see Toffoli slide down, there is absolutely no way that Brock Besser gets taken off the Pedersen line after what he did last night. Yeah. Not a chance. That line was firing on all cylinders. Pedersen's setup to him 
was beautiful. Uh, I had a debate with my uncle who I was watching the game with if Pedersen meant to do that on purpose or if he was actually just trying to score. But 100%, I think he was trying to set up Besser. Like, he knew. Pedersen knows, okay? That's why so, I was going to tweet this out, but I couldn't find out the way to say it. But, like, I'm going to say it here because like, that was, like, one of my funnest, like, one of my favorite things all year long was, like, hearing people say, like, did Pedersen mean to do that on purpose? You know, like, there was so many times where it was just, like, he did some weird little thing with the stick and just the way that he moves the puck. Yeah. Or, you know, he, like, would use his feet with something. And it's, like, did Pedersen mean to do that? And I think, like, in a year or two from now, we're going to be, like, just seeing him do that, like, regularly and be, like, oh, yeah, like, he meant to do that. Like, people aren't even going to question yeah. it anymore. And it's just, like, I just, I tried tweeting that out, but I couldn't put it into words. So I had to save it for the pod. Yeah, exactly. Like, 100% of the time, when Elias Pedersen does something otherworldly, he means to do it. Like, that's why his teammates in the SHL called him the alien. Like, Mm -hmm. there's a reason for this. And, I mean, you know, you just don't take Besser off that line, right? Like, there is no chance that Besser is taken off that line after that performance. And, I mean, how, how awesome was it to see how excited he was scoring a goal against the Wild, right? Like, how cool has that got to be for him? Like, his dad is watching his friends are watching from home in minnesota like how cool is that for besser i don't know that was just that was so awesome and the fact that his like best friend assisted it to him like that's that that was a that was probably my favorite moment of the playoffs so far yeah then taj had a pretty good tweet saying that uh that he was screaming take that matt Sakaris when he scored that goal <laughs> uh but no i think that what you mentioned you know, and to get back to, so we can, we can shut the conversation down about breaking up the lotto line. Like that's never, that's not going to happen. Uh, exactly, it shouldn't but, happen anytime but, but, soon, but, but to, to, to continue on with the, the top six and the Louis yeah, Erickson, who goes in the top six? Yeah, like, Louis. I, I think I would like to see Tyler Toffoli there, but I'm not going to, you know, like Travis Green, like I said, Travis Green played Louis Erickson the most out of every single player at five on five. You think he's going to go away from that after getting a win? Like obviously exactly. in, in his brain or whatever, he's looking back at the play. He's saying, okay, look, I played Louie on that line a lot. I played Louie a lot. I played him more than anybody at 5-on-5. Five five. I'm not going to take scored. him out of that situation, right? Like, he's not going to. So, yep. I guess, like, I do have to start to look at a third line and start to say, what what does that third line look like now? And the question still is going to be, is Roussel there? Is Furlan there? Um, yep. If one of the two is there, then I wonder who slides in. If one of the two is there, I, I don't know who's going to come in and play wing on that line. Like, you could, I think, if you go with Zach McEwen, it's an interesting one because this wild team does have some big bodies. Uh, you know, Felino's big, uh, Greenway's a big boy, Stahl's a big boy, Koivu's a big boy. Like they have some big fellas on their team, but we have a big fella as well. And I think if you're going to put in Zach McEwen for that spot on the third line, I think that he's going to have to be, you know, he's going to have to be that skating full out speed, you know, throwing his body around, looking like a guy who's still playing for an NHL job, even though a lot of people say that he's already an NHL player. He's got to go back to that mentality. And I'm not saying that he's lost it, um, but I think that if he just continues on with that mentality of, I need to prove myself as an NHL player, because now he has to prove himself as an NHL player in the playoffs, right? Or or the postseason, whatever you want to call it. Like, Zach yep. McEwen needs to prove that he's able to step his game up to this level. Uh, I've, obviously, I've talked to Corey a lot about this, and, and he loved what Zach did in the playoffs when Zach was in them. Um, so I think that's when Zach kind of really grew his game in Utica and started to look like a guy who was going to be on Utica's top line for the future. Um, but I think that that's something that we're going to have to see from Zach in here because I, I don't need staged fights from Zach McEwen, but I need Zach McEwen, uh, you know, when a whistle hits, like you mentioned it earlier about Jay Beagle and how Jay Beagle's awesome after the whistle, right? Like he's always getting involved. Zach needs to be the same way. Like McEwen's going to have to to grab that little, that little, tur- <laughs> I don't, I don't want to swear, but he wants to grab that little rat Zuccarello because Zuccarello's in there. All Zuccarello does after the whistle is he finds Troy Stetcher because Troy Stetcher is the only guy that's similar size to him. And he starts grabbing Troy Stetcher and pushing Stetcher around. So I need like Zach McEwen to just grab that Zuccarello and just one handed halt toss him into the freaking boards. Cause Zuccarello starting to piss me off how much he's jabbing Troy Stetcher in the back. Why don't you just get Pedersen to do it? He just sucker punched Ryan Hartman. Yeah, no, Pedersen. That was that was dude. Good, good to see. I was. I love I how was, Hartman's trying to sell it too, and then he ends up hurting himself. Like what an idiot. Okay, that's that's another thing. Like that shot to the back of the head. The original shot didn't really look like it was hard. And right? I don't know like, why they didn't. They talked. They didn't even talk about it on the broadcast. Like he. He was like he, the reason he was mad is because Hartman's stick comes up and hits Pedersen in the face, yeah. You know, and then he hits him again with the stick in the face on his way down. So, uh, like 
you know, if you get hit in the face, you're obviously going to be mad. It's not like he Todd Bertuzzi'd him. Like, he punched him yeah. kind of in the back, and then it kind of moved up to his head. It wasn't a dirty play at all. That was ridiculous. Yeah, Hartman, like, launched himself into the ice, which I, yeah, did. you know, I, I hope he's okay. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, don't throw your head into the ice, you know? Like, maybe maybe avoid doing that. And I mean, you got to tell hockey players that every couple of months. Don't throw your head into the ice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway. What do you think about this idea of, you know, the D pairings? Like last night, what did we see? Well, they still they need to figure that out. Still, man, like that's I can't, the thing. Yeah, they need. They're in the playoffs. You need to play your best defenseman as much as possible. That top four needs to be. That top four needs to consist of Hughes, Tanev, Edler, and Myers. And the fact that they're playing Fantenberg a lot with Tyler Myers is really like if you're gonna look at Tyler Myers as a guy who's gonna bring something to your team. You can't have him on a third pairing playing no minutes. Like, there was times last night where we got to see Quinn Hughes play with Tyler Myers, and I think that's fine. You know, it's it's something that's okay to see certain times, especially when you need to generate some offense because both guys can can bring a little bit of offense. But when Tyler Myers is playing with Oscar Fantenberg, you're kind of just hoping that you don't get scored on, right? Like, because Myers isn't going to be able to move the puck as much because Fantenberg's confident in moving the puck, um, even though he might not be the like the best guy at moving the puck. He's he's very confident in trying to move the puck up ice. So Tyler Myers doesn't have the stick on his ice or doesn't have the puck a lot when he's on the ice. Like he's got to move up the ice without the puck a lot. And I and I think Tyler Myers is one of his biggest strengths is actually skating the puck up ice, which is why he works well with Quinn Hughes because both can be moving in the same direction at the same time with an option to pass or move the puck. So I think you're wasting. The, the potential that Tyler Myers can help your team when you have him playing with Oscar Fantenberg. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, you know what was really shocking? Like, Green called Myers fantastic after the game last night. He looked everything but fantastic to me. Like, he took two penalties late, and they were bad penalties. Three penalties in the game, two penalties late, and Green's, Green's analysis is that he looked fantastic. I, I I didn't understand that. I, I really didn't. And I mean, you know, if anybody looked fantastic, it was Louis Erickson. We've already been over this. But I think now's a good time to cut to break. And I mean, we'll pick this up on the other side and preview game three. Keep it locked and loaded. You are listening to the Canucks Conversation. All right, guys, before we continue on with the episode, I just want to give a quick shout out to the presenting sponsor of the Canucks Conversation. You know what it is, Parallel 49 Brewing, and they have a special beer out now for the summer. Tart, juicy, and aromatic with bursts of mango, guava, passion fruit flavors, and a hint of vanilla. To go with that, it's a silky smooth finish. That is, that's right, folks. It is called the Tropicool and it is a smoothie sour. I mean, that's a beer I've never even heard of before. It sounds absolutely amazing for the summertime. And I hope that you guys go out and try it. You guys can go get it. It's available at their shop, 1950 Triumph Street, and in BC liquor stores across the province. So go out and try some Parallel 49 beer. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for sports cards and trading card games. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50. And now, join them for Thursday night breaks at 5 p.m. Pacific time every Thursday and be a part of an epic case break experience. Purchase your spot on ZephyrEpic.com and watch the live stream on twitch.tv slash ZephyrEpic. And for all you Canucks Conversation podcast listeners, you can save $5 off your purchase with the code CanucksConvo. Some restrictions apply. Follow them on social media to be part of monthly contests and ticket giveaways. Search Z-E-P-H-Y-R Epic on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And a huge thank you to all of our sponsors on this lovely show. Chris, we got to pick it up because your mic cut out near the end, so we had to cut it. But let's talk about Troy Stetcher, a guy who both of us have kind of agreed already was pretty good in both Game 1 and Game 2. I thought he was a lone bright bright spot for the Canucks, excuse me. And in Game 2, it was more or less the same. I was happy with what I saw from Stetcher. And again, like, he's a guy that can slide up into your top four. And we talk about Nikita Triumkin a lot on this show, and somehow I've managed to do it during a playoff series. Come on! But it's very nice that Triumkin's not going to be someone that takes up cap space as a reason that the Canucks have to walk away from Troy Stetcher. Because I've said it before, I'll say it again, somebody made me a shirt that says this, Nikita Triumkin is not an NHL D-man. Yeah, absolutely. And before we continue on too far, before I dive into Stetcher, we are recording remotely today. Uh, 
just timeline didn't work up for us, but we'll be back on Friday, uh, back on the mic, but I think we're doing an okay job so far, aside from my mic cutting out there at the end. Uh, but yes. Yeah, exactly. Troy Stetcher, uh, I thought was the one of, I thought he was the best defenseman, uh, in game one for the Vancouver Canucks. I thought in game two, he looked good again. Um, I, I think that Troy Stetcher is a guy who, who fits into the top four when you need him there. And though, though Tyler Myers is not getting as much time when Troy Stetcher's there, uh, I think that the way that, that I kind of mentioned there, I think we missed it in the recording, but the, the thing that I'd like to see is Tyler Myers move up, possibly play with the lotto line when they're on the ice, like put Tyler Myers on with Quinn Hughes for that. Uh, if you're going to see that lineup, maybe you do that once or twice a period, right? It's not going to be a ton, but maybe just a minute of Myers with, with Hughes together because they're going to help. They're the best defensive pairing on this Vancouver Canucks team at, at, you know, getting scoring chances and getting goals for this team. They have the highest goals per 60 when they're on the ice, the highest scoring chance per 60 when they're on the ice and the highest expected goals. So, I mean, they are the best offensive pairing you're going to have out there. And I think that if you're, you know, like, like I said, you don't have to, you don't have to make that pairing be Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers for majority of the game. I think, you know, Quinn Hughes works well with Chris Tanev, but I think just moving Myers up to get a little bit more minutes because you don't want him playing the same amount of minutes as an Oscar Fantenberg. And you don't want him kind of jumping up and playing with Alex Edler and Troy Stetcher because Troy Stetcher is playing too good uh, right now as a fourth defenseman. Like you, you can't think that Tyler Myers is going to be much of an improvement from what you've seen from Troy Stetcher because Troy Stetcher's looked, like you said, he's looked good. I thought he was the best defenseman on this Canucks team in game one. And I thought he looked good in game two as well. So maybe Travis does a few things about, you know, trying to match his, his top line, his top scoring line with his top pairing, uh, top scoring pairing, I guess, to put out together. But I think that's the only thing that I would make a little bit of a tweak because I, like I wrote an article about this a little while ago, the worst pairing for the Vancouver Canucks this year was Oscar Fantenberg and Tyler Myers. So I don't want them out there a ton together at five on five, but they are going to happen to get time together. So that's just the way it's shaking down. And because the top four is looking pretty solid, you don't really want to change things right now. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And you know, you look at the stability that the Minnesota wild have in their top four and you just kind of long for the day where we don't have to have this discussion anymore. And you know, there won't be any lineup changes. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but nothing's changed with the Wild through any of these games, correct? Like, they've iced the same lineup every game. Yeah, no, they've done the same lines both games. Uh, same defense core. It's, you know, they have their ways. Their coach likes it the way, like, that the, they have it. That's kind of what they've been running for a long time, and I don't think they're going to move away from it. I don't know if they're going to make an adjustment uh, against the Canucks here in Game 3 because I feel like they, they played good enough in Game 1 that they kind of just want to get back to that. So I, I'm curious to see what the Minnesota Wild make an adjustment for here. Yeah, you know what? That's really interesting. Let's talk about that because we want to preview Game 3 of it. But before we do that, there's a prospect, a Russian prospect who the first name, people couldn't spell it for a while. It, there was there was a lot of disagreement on how to spell his first name. But we're talking about Vasily Podkolzin here, who played an exhibition game, and I didn't get around to watching that game, but you did. So tell me about Podkolzin, who I'm also working on a deep dive that, by the way, I plan on write, I plan on like finishing and publishing it once the play-in series is over and once we have like slow news days. That's when you're going to get the Podkolzin deep dive that I've been talking about for like a month now. But talk about Pod Colson. Well, good. I'm excited for your deep dive. But first, watch the games, Dave. Uh, but with okay, Pod Colson, okay. I've watched a lot, <laughs> just not this exhibition. Leave me I was going to say, Pod Colson, yeah, they won 6 0. Uh, they played a good game. Uh, Pod Colson's line looked excellent. Um, the thing that I love the most about Pod Colson is what he does on the power play, man. Like, he's he's a net front guy that, that moves the way that, like, uh, a future like a futuristic net front presence player should look like. Like he's in front of the net, he's there when the shot's about to come, but when the shot isn't there or like it's moving around on the top of the, you know, top of the umbrella on the power play, like Pod Colson looks available for a pass and you just you don't really see that and it's so different watching that power play to what the Canucks was. And I noticed this the other day about the Canucks power play was that they were really using Brock Besser just kind of in the corner. Right, like I don't know if he's really in a spot where he can score a goal from there. Um, they seem to make an adjustment as the game went on, but I just thought that you know I like when they have a guy in the net front presence and then a guy in the bumper because it opens up an opportunity for more scoring chances. You can score from more spots on the ice. So I, I wonder if they'll make an adjustment for that because having Brock Besser down low, you know, beneath the goal line was kind of strange to me. Like it's not like he can you know he can make a pass to the bumper guy or he can make a pass to J T Miller when he's on that left side, but it, he can't really score from there. So I thought that maybe they need to make a little bit of adjustment there but yeah talking about pod colson 
he looked good. He looked mad too. Like he looked mean and mad in that game. He was throwing a ton of hits throughout the game. Yep. Their line was absolutely dominant throughout. Um, scored a couple of goals with his line. He wasn't included in assist in any of those, but he was on the ice for them. Um, and then the power play, like I said, that's that's where he does some of his best work. Like I, I just love watching Vasily Podkols and stand in front of the net and work around and just be able to have that positional fluidity and be able to continue to just keep the play going no matter what he's doing. He's really good at moving the puck from behind the net as well. So um, all in all, a good game from him. I'm excited that KHL Hockey's back on because uh, like people are all excited because NHL Hockey starts at 9 a.m. now and it goes till you know pretty much like 11 o'clock at night. You're getting... 14 hours of hockey nonstop pretty much right now. But like if you throw some KHL games in your life, you're up at 7am or 6am for these games. Uh, you're basically getting, you know, like 17, 16 hours of hockey uh, every day. My sleep schedule hates it. My girlfriend hates it. Uh, but I think I, I just love it. So I'll just watch hockey all day long. And I'm excited to keep watching pod Colson because he came and he looked strong. You know, they started them kind of on the fourth line is what it kind of shaped out when SKA tweeted out their lines. It didn't kind of finish that way. Like he played a lot of minutes. Uh, Brett was doing some, great tracking on him he counted 19 shifts uh for Vasily Pod Colson so that's a good amount of shifts for a guy who's supposed to be on your fourth line uh I just hope to continue to see what he's able to do and I think that he looks stronger he looks meaner he looks like he's skating you know similar like the skating didn't look massively improved I don't guess but the thing that I really saw an improvement on was just him getting involved physically he was pushing around guys that were bigger than him uh guys that were the same size or smaller than him he was just eating alive on the boards uh so I liked him he was looking mean uh he was moving the puck well skating strong with the puck uh and a lot a lot of good stuff from Pod Coles and so I'm excited that uh, we're going to be able to see him on a consistent basis here and and SHL hockey will be just around the corner as well so we'll get a chance to see what Hug Huglander can do uh to follow up his past season here with Rogla. Rogla, I love that. You know, that's the thing though when you say v- Pod Colson was playing that high intensity game and like playing like that that's just how he plays, man. When you watch him play, it's like literally like a bull in a china shop. It's insane how he his motor is. Like he's just such a high octane player and he is so so good at being all over the ice. Like you rarely see a guy who can forecheck and backcheck the way he can. Like you know, I've talked to a lot of people about his game, and the comparison I've got is he's a more skilled version of Mark Stone. So he can give you that two-way game, but he's got that 60-70 point potential. You know what I mean? Like, whereas Mark Stone has like 50-60 point potential, Pod Colson has a little higher bit potential to score some goals for you and get some points. And I mean, that can only be a good thing for the Canucks, right? And right. when we look at the type of game that Pod Colson plays, like, it's basically exactly what fans wanted Jake Vertanen to be. Totally. Uh, you know, he's he's legitimately a power forward, and he goes to the net hard. He plays both ends of the ice. Like, he does so much, and it's exactly the type of player that, you know, Craig Button was on this show last week. He said people are going to love to play with Pod Colson. Travis Green is going to love coaching Pod Colson. Like, this is a good thing. And I mean, you know, people have looked at the track record with the Canucks and Russians and said, oh, well, Travis Green doesn't like Goldobin and Travis Green, uh, or sorry, Willie didn't like Triamkin, blah, blah, blah. First of all, Triamkin's horrible, like I've already said. And Gold- Goldobin just didn't buy into the system that Travis Green was selling. Whereas Pod Colton, you already know that he's coming pre-made with that system already built into him. Like, he gets it. He's one of those players that gets it, right? And I mean... Yeah. That's why I'm personally super excited to watch him play. Uh, I'll have to watch some exhibition games as well, like you did, but not quite there yet. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of highlights this year. Um, you know, Canucks fans are gonna see a lot of people tweeting out these these clips. We're gonna see stuff from Niels Huglander that's gonna blow your mind. Like the little skill stuff that he's gonna be able to do is gonna blow your mind. The passes that he's gonna make are gonna you know get you very excited for him. You're not gonna see as much from Pod Colson. You know, you're not gonna see him every single shift look like a bulldog on the ice and dominating play. You're going to see some. You're going to see him, you know, at some point this year, he's going to just put his shoulder down, lean on a defender, go straight to the net and score some nice goals, right? Like, we're going to see that. But I think a lot of people are still saying, like, oh, Niels Huglander is a top prospect. I think we've seen some some of the, you know, and, and he is. Like, he should be from the skill that he has. But Pod Colson is who I would bet my money on. Uh, I, I think that he's got a well-rounded game. He's the type of player that's going to hop into a top six. I just, I look down the road and I say, like, if that second line in the future is Huglander, Bo Horvat, and Vasily Pod Colson, like, 
oh, that just it gets me excited because it, it's got such a different mix of skill. And I think with these two these two prospects that we have coming in and Huglander and Pod Colson being so different is so good because it's going to really help the lineup in the future. Just having two players with such a high skill level, but also being very high level in different parts of their skill that I think it's going to be a perfect combination when these two guys come in. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, when we look at who's more NHL ready, like personally, I think it's Pod Colson. I think he's closer to being ready to play for the Canucks. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think that Huglander's ridiculously skilled. He's a hard worker, you know, on the ice, off the ice. He works damn hard. Um, but I think that Pod Colson is, is just, we're not seeing as much, right? He's in Russia. He's behind the curtain. We're not seeing as much uh, of Pod Colson, but we are going to start to talk a lot more about him when some of these plays start to start to happen. Because last year, it felt like he just couldn't quite finish, and we would have seen a lot more highlights of him. Uh, but this year, I got a good feeling Pod Colson's going to have a way better season in the KHL. He's going to put up a decent amount of goals this year. Absolutely. And, you know, before we wrap up here, let's preview game three, because I think, you know, it's been it's nice that we're going two episodes a week, man. I must say it's very nice to be doing two a week now. And, you know, I want to kind of talk about game three because people are going to be listening to this on Wednesday, maybe Thursday morning, getting them ready for the Thursday morning start time, actually, for the wild game. So let's just quickly preview game three. I mean, there's only so much we can preview, not knowing the status of Michael Furland and, um, and Antoine Roussel, and then you throw Tyler Toffoli and Adam Gaudet into that mix. You know, media availability is until 3.15 today, so you're going to want to check Twitter to see if we get any info. I'm not so sure we will because, you know, everything's under lock and key right now in that bubble, right? Like, nobody is tweeting out the lines. It's not like how it was at training camp where Farhan Lalji is tweeting out 20 videos from the scrimmages, from the practices. Like, hey, nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with tweeting out 20 videos at scrimmages. No, absolutely. It's super helpful. I'm just saying he's not there right now. And actually, he might be in the bubble. But the point is, he can't watch practice. And we can't get those videos from Farhan, which is really hurting us. But uh, Or Chris I, Faber. It, you can it, follow Chris Faber for those things, too. Just saying. Yes, you can follow Chris Faber for those things, too. But not right now. Nobody can get anything right now. I mean, people's best chance at getting any info from inside the bubble is by following Murph. Like, Murph is the guy right now, I think. And Drance. Or Drancer. Drancer's in there. Yeah, Drance, Drance and Murph. I think those are the two guys you need to be following right now. Followed by David Quadrelli and Chris Faber. And Brendan Batchelor. He's doing a good job too. But yeah. Yes, um, Brendan Batchelor. Yeah, no, looking into game three, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of the same as, as game one. I think that Minnesota's gonna try and, you know, limit the Canucks chances. The Canucks got a couple goals from distance last game, but what they're gonna need to do is continue to go to the net, continue to draw penalties, continue to get momentum from those power plays. Uh, and, you know, try and get a couple shots off that are going to work. But I think that we didn't see it a lot in game, you know, game two, even like a lot of the goals didn't really come from them driving to the net, but it felt like they were more, you know, like it felt like they were getting more bodies around Staylock and getting shots kind of funneled in towards the net. So I think that they're going to try and do that in game three is a little bit more. Uh, you're just going to have to break through that wall that the Minnesota Wild have with their defense core. So I, I'm interested to see what happens. Uh, it's going to be an early game. You're right. 1130 on Thursday morning. Um, so that's going to be, that's going to be a good one. Then back to back on Friday, uh, for the next game as well. So we're going to have two more games to wrap up on next week, uh, on next episode, I guess, episode 93, my birth year, uh, of the show. So that'll be a lot of fun. And, and yeah, I just, they're going to have to be able to hit a couple shots like they did, you know, with JT Miller having that snipe, getting it above the glove. Uh, they're going to have to do that again. Brock Besser got his goal, I guess, from driving to the net. So that's something good. I think that just get pucks on net, you know, get the good rebounds, get your, be the first stick on rebounds and they'll, they'll, they'll be all right. I think they're going to be able to beat Staylock here in game three. So, uh, I know I predicted a sweep, but, uh, I think the Canucks still got this one. Yep, I, th I think you're right. I think, you know, they should be able to continue what they started in Game 2. Um, you know, I again, like, we talk about if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think that's kind of the mantra you have to have with the lineup. Like, that's why I think Louis Erickson's still going to be in the top six tomorrow when we watch the game. Like, I think we're going to see that again. And, I mean, can you really blame Travis for wanting to fully on a third line if he's healthy? Like, I don't know. I, I, I think that's what we're going to see, personally. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And, I mean... Again, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. If it's right. going to work, and it worked for you in game game two, why wouldn't it work in game three? You know what I mean? All you're doing is making your third line more of a scoring threat, right? Like, I don't know. I think, I think the Canucks are actually suited pretty well because, like, to me, right, like, the Wild play a really structured game. And 
it wasn't like the Wild had a huge drop-off in play from game one to two. Like, I think they played more or less the same. I think it was the Canucks that really stepped up their game and really figured out the Wild system, right? And, you know, we talked about it. Like, Travis had five months. You thought they'd come out of the gate doing this. But no, it took one game where they just absolutely fell on their face and tripped over their shoelaces to get into game action and get ready to go against this wild team and I think now that we're seeing that I think you can have a little more confidence that the Canucks will be able to keep this up yeah and you're gonna ride or die with that top six but you bring up a good point you know if Toffoli is thrown into that third line brings a little bit more scoring that that get, can't hurt the team at all and and like I said earlier you know Travis played played Louie more than any other player at 5-on-5 five five. he's not gonna go away from that in game two no matter if Toffoli's healthy or not and you know I, I heard him talk with uh, Brendan Batchelor, and I think Batch tweeted out the quotes as well um this is Travis Green I'm talking about and he said that you know some of our players are gonna be 80-90% banged up or we're gonna have to choose if we want to put a guy who's 100% healthy and I wonder if that's the situation uh with Tyler Toffoli you know is Tyler mm-hmm. Toffoli at 70 80 percent right now um if he is i think that he's still a better option to throw in there on that third line if you want to get a little bit of scoring out of that third line um i think that he could bring something in there i i personally would like to see him in the top six if he's 100 percent healthy but like you said and, and you've kind of convinced me throughout this episode that you know the the minutes that travis green played him uh the travis green's got to be happy with what happened with that second line the horvat line and I don't see him going away from that either. So uh, I think Toffoli would be a huge addition right now to this top nine. Uh, it's crazy to say how, how much has changed uh, since Sunday night uh, with the injuries, with the lot of line coming back together, totally. with Louis Erickson being the best player on the ice, according to you. Like, it's <laughs> there's a lot that's gone on in the past couple of days. And it's it just it's a good feeling because it's playoff hockey, man. Like, a lot of stuff is making, you know, you need to make these adjustments. Uh, Travis Green made an adjustment. It worked for him. So we'll see what happens when the Minnesota counterpunch with their adjustment that they're going to make against this Canucks team. Totally. We'll have to see what happens. But for now, this has been episode 92. The first time we've gone back to two episodes a week. The last time we attempted this, a global pandemic shut down the NHL. So let's hope that that doesn't happen again. Knock on wood. For Chris Faber, my name is David Guadrelli, and you've been listening to the Canucks Conversation. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 